following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. You stroll, you, you stroll into a, a rented space like this. Greetings at the front door. More greetings inside. Take a name tag for yourself and are given one as a guest. That way others know what what to call you or they remember your name. You take your usual place. Most churches, people have their usual places, although they they don't insist on them. You look over the, the worship folder that's been given to you. Look at the faces around you. Maybe visit a bit with the person sitting next to you. But perhaps also for just a moment, you look up to the front and you see a modest altar, a a book stand, a, a simple baptismal bowl, and a cross hanging on the wall. All those here so that you can fix your thoughts on Jesus. A hymn is sung. Prayers are prayed. Confession of sin is made. An absolution, words spoken to wash away your sins. Always so that you can fix your thoughts on Jesus. There's also the scripture reading, of course. uh, Two of them, sometimes three on a Sunday morning. Looking at words on a page, hearing them read aloud. There's always a clear purpose to the scripture readings as well. The word of God is put into your ears and in front of your eyes and it's put in your mind and in your heart so that you can fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's what his writer urges today. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, recognizing the the greater honor that is his due and holding fast to your courage and hope. According to one of today's readings, he's in Capernaum. It's the Sabbath day and he's at the the synagogue. He goes there to teach. He does what rabbis have been doing in that synagogue Saturday after Saturday, week after week, year after year. He he reads Holy Scripture aloud and then he explains it. He, he teaches it. Except Jesus does it in such a convincing way, such a compelling way. These people recognize they've never heard or seen anyone like this. While Jesus is talking on this particular day, a man possessed by a, a dirty demon is sitting among them. As I imagine it, he's been quiet for a time. And then all of a sudden in that crowded room, he begins to shout, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus, hearing those words that everybody else hears, doesn't hesitate for a second, doesn't give in to fear. He simply says, Be quiet. Come out of him. 
And just like that, the unclean spirit shakes the man and comes out of him shrieking. Those who see it are amazed. No rabbi has ever done such a miraculous, powerful thing in their presence. Their rabbis, their teachers typically would would simply sit up front and, and drone on and on about what this particular rabbi such and such once wrote or about what that particular rabbi so and so once said. They would speak to the people in such a way that often the people couldn't understand the point. In fact, they burdened people's consciences with teachings they wouldn't understand and with demands that they couldn't carry out. But Jesus that day obviously spoke with the power of God himself. He also spoke from the heart of the Heavenly Father words of of love and and grace and and, and forgiveness. Shared promises that people have heard before and and quite obviously he he knew what he was talking about. St. Mark writes, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority, not like their usual teachers. Jesus, they recognized, deserved greater honor than anyone else we've heard. Researchers, historians have us imagining what those synagogue proceedings were like. Typical synagogue in in a small town, maybe several of them in a large city, a space of, of maybe 30, 40 feet by 20 or 30 feet, not a large room, one single room, sometimes with, with st- a stone bench around the entire perimeter. People would sit on those stone benches, both men and women. Some would sit on the floor. Others would stand. And they'd look up to the front of the room where there would be a, a, a platform. And on the platform, a the seat where the presiding elder would preside from. Maybe another elder or two as as well. And also up front near that platform or perhaps on it, a a wooden box, the the ark, the the, the container for the the scrolls in which the writings were were stored. The presiding elder would summon a rabbi to come forth. He would ask an attendant to to reach into that cabinet and and bring out for him on on some Sabbath days uh, a scroll that would contain the the so-called writings, the Psalms, Proverbs, maybe writings from Lamentations or the Chronicles. On another Sunday, he might first ask for, for, for something from the prophets, from a, a scroll from early prophets like, like Samuel and, 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 and Joshua, or from later prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or, 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 or Jonah or, or Micah. He would, he would place the scroll on a, 
a, a table at, at the, on this platform or in the middle of the room. He would unroll the scroll, find his place. He would read the word of the Lord in a reverent way, and, and then he would teach. But the scrolls that always got the highest honor and that received the, the most attention were the scrolls containing the writings of Moses. Today we'd call those books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. The, the scrolls that contained what the Jewish people called the, the Torah, or simply Moses. It was Moses, after all, who came down from the mountain with the very words of God and, and repeated them for the people and then, and then wrote them down in, in those books. It was Moses who, at, at God's command, had, had stretched out his hand to, to part the waters of the sea so that the people could, could escape slavery and find freedom. It was Moses who, through whom in the middle of the desert, God provided bread every morning. It was Moses who sometimes led his fellow Israelites to victory on the battlefield. Almost 40 years after this particular Sabbath day at Capernaum, one of God's writers makes a comparison. Moses, he writes, he was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Very reliable, Moses served in the family of God as, as God directed him. But Jesus, he writes, is worthy of greater honor than Moses. And then he compels us to think about that. Moses came down from a mountain, but Jesus came down from heaven. Moses stretched out his hand to, to part the sea and open the way to, to freedom from earthly slavery. Jesus stretched out both hands on a cross to, to pave the way to freedom from, from sin. Moses won victories over earthly armies. Jesus was victorious when he rose and, and, and proved to be victorious over death and, and hell. Moses was faithful in God's house, God's family. Jesus is, is the son of God over God's house. Matter of fact, Jesus built the house. Jesus built the people among whom God lives both now and forever. Jesus built us, his church. So Jesus, very obviously, is worthy of greater honor than Moses. In your Bible reading, in your personal devotions, in, in your studies of the word as you gather with others. You, you can learn a great deal of, of, about Moses. You also learn about a humble man named Joseph and, 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 and his humble wife, the, the Virgin Mary. You, you learn about courageous John who preached and baptized in the wilderness and called people to repent. You learn about inquisitive Mary and, and her hard-working sister Martha. 
You learn about Simon Peter and Andrew and, 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 and James and his brother John and Philip and Marth- Bartholomew. You, you, you learn about all of their, 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 their faults and failings, but you also learn to admire these people as, as witnesses to the word of God. But you know what? Something's always obvious, and that is Jesus is worthy of greater honor than any of them. When you learn the great Bible stories, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's the hero of, of every single Bible account. When you listen to preaching or, or, or teaching, fix your thoughts on, on Jesus. He, he's the one who's always glorified by, by every word of God. When you participate in prayer, yeah, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's the, the only mediator, the only go-between between holy God and sinful you and me. And, and, and convinces the Father as he, as he advocates for us to, to listen to every word we say. When you realize that all the blessings of the church as a gathering of saints on earth and in heaven, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's the church's one foundation. There's no doubt about what this writer to the Hebrews has announced. The, the greater honor always belongs to Jesus. Emperor Nero, you've heard of him. He ruled the empire for, of Rome for too long, and his policies were failing. So having a political mind, he he, he, he figured out who he should, who he should blame, that, that the Christians should have to suffer for the failings of his policies. So what kind of pressures could this pagan emperor bring on them? Could he take away their homes and their property? Could he convince people not to do business with them? Could he invent moral failings of which the Christians were guilty? Could he threaten them with arrest or a prison? Could he do all of the above? Under Emperor Nero, apparently the blame and the fault finding were, were, were coming so heavily on them, many Christians were, were thinking about drifting back to the old ways of the Israelites, to the worship at the temple in Jerusalem, to the, to the priests who were sir, still serving there, to the sacrifices that were, were still being offered. It, it, it's never been unusual for Christian people to take the blame. Once God call, has called you to believe and then to confess what's been revealed to you in, in Holy Scripture, you too might be a target for fault finders. You may be faulted when you say that God has a high standard for how human beings should speak and and act and think. And he says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. If you say that aloud, you're going to take some heat. You may be faulted when you say that there are 
many evils to be acknowledged, including those evils that might not put a person in jail. What if you talked like the prophet Jeremiah and said out loud that any God who who is revealed other than the God who reveals himself in Scripture can, can, is, is a worthless idol who can do you absolutely no good. What if you talked like the Apostle Peter and said that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus? What if you spoke like this writer to the Hebrews later writes, and, and, and what if you said that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness? And then what if, like this writer, you said that sinners find forgiveness and are made holy only by the blood of Jesus and only by the sacrifice of his body on the cross once for all? Will some find fault with that? Of course they will. Will some assign blame, apply pressure? Will you be tested from the outside and even tempted to to drift to some safer harbor and, and, and keep quiet? And here's God's word for you. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. We're his people called together by the Holy Spirit whom he sent. We're his flock, shepherded to the streams of of living water. We're his temple where God dwells. Or as this writer puts it, we're his house, the one he built. And he lives among us with his love and mercy now and forever. Little Emma's heart was doing flip-flops. Seven years old, she had a big part in the annual school play, more lines than anyone else. And as the, the, the first presentation of the play was going to take place, she was dreadfully worried she would forget her lines. For a moment, she was asking one of her teachers whether she could just go home. But then as she she walked out on the stage and looked at the audience. There was her mom sitting in the front row. The two of them made eye contact. Her mom smiled at her, gave her a little wave. And just like that, just for a moment, fixing her thoughts on her mom right there, Emma had all the confidence and hope that she needed. Little children, I suppose, at some point outgrow that. Christian people never do. It remains a lifelong blessing, in fact, to fix your thoughts on Jesus, the the apostle whom we confess. He's the one sent forth from God the Father, whose words that we, we, we proclaim aloud to the encouragement of one another. That's your courage found in him. It remains a lifelong blessing when, you, when you're tar- targeted for fault-finding or blame to, to fix your thoughts on Jesus, the high priest whom we confess, 
with such a high priest as Jesus, you don't need a synagogue, you don't need a temple, you don't even need to be in a church. Wherever you are, Jesus, your high priest, stands at God's mercy seat where he's poured out his blood and where God says to you, forgiven. There is your hope in him. That's a, that's a lifelong blessing when, when, when fierce winds of change blow in your direction or when, when subtle winds cause you to drift a bit. It remains a lifelong blessing to fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's the unchanging source of, of courage and, and hope as this writer later writes, yesterday and today and forever. Here in this place, we get those reminders all the time. And like I said earlier, I invite you to, to join us at, at this place. In your prayers at home, in, in your devotional reading at home, wherever you are, make eye contact with Jesus. Do that often. Hear his words of blessing. See his smile of benediction. Fix your thoughts on him. Always recognizing the greater honor that his, is his due and holding fast to the courage and hope that he gives. Amen. Amen.